Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 25:14-30. For it will be like a man on a, going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more will be given, will be more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servants into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Chris. I hope you have a Bible. I hope you'll open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. My heart is full. I appreciate so much to hear the word of God spoken Read so beautifully by Debbie and Chris, thank you for your leadership, man, and for your story. Um, Money, right on. We're in a series called One Week to Change the World, and in this series, what I've done is I've taken six weeks, and I'm handling each of the last six days prior to the resurrection. And so today, we're going to talk about what happened in the latter part of Tuesday, just a couple of days before Jesus was crucified, and that happened just a couple of days before Jesus was raised from the dead. So the New Testament, the Gospels specifically, uh, have quite a lot of content that talk about what happened the last week of Jesus' life. And some people think that uh, that the, the rest of the Bible, the part prior to this, is, is the preview for this most important week, and that is the week called Passion Week, leading up to the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you may be new to this church and you say, what is this church about? And very simply, what we're about is Jesus. 
We care about who Jesus is, and we believe that the more clearly you see Jesus, the more fully you understand who God is. And when you understand who God is and have a, a clarified or a increasingly clear vision of who God is, then your life will change. I think that every one of you have a question. Who is God? Who am I? And what does it matter? And today, as we look at this passage, I want you to know that a miracle is going to need to take place in your heart for you to respond. The passage that we're about to look at is a parable, and it's found in chapter 25, right in between these two sections where Jesus is talking about the end times. And um, if you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 25, just look a little before that to Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, because just a day or so prior to Jesus being arrested and eventually crucified, Jesus is teaching and things have gotten quite intense. He's gone from being very popular coming into Jerusalem to then going into the temple and facing off with the religious leaders. He's become an enemy of the local leaders. They don't like what he's doing. They don't like what he's saying. But there are some that are still near him and they're asking him questions, the the most important questions of life. Like, how are we to live ours? And so here he is in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and and they begin asking questions about the end times. What's going to happen in the end? Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. The disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And we read down a little bit further in verse 36 of the same chapter, chapter 24. Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. And then we skip to chapter 25, verse 13, and we read these words from Jesus. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, my purpose today is not to try to explain to you all that the Bible says about exactly what's going to happen in the end times. Frankly, I'm not 100% sure. There are some brilliant scholars that would describe what's going to happen in the end in different ways. All of us agree on this point, and I'm lumping myself in with the brilliant scholars. The brilliant scholars say, and then I, a normal average guy, would agree, Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to return. Now, I know that there are things in your life that feel like a big deal. There are things in your life that feel really, really significant and really, really important, and they feel like a heavy weight on your shoulders. But let me tell you something, something that will put all that in perspective is for you to begin to be rattled, shaken, moved by the truth that Jesus will return. And my charge to you today is that Jesus will return, so let's not waste our lives. Jesus will return, so let's not waste our lives. This is what Jesus cares about. So Jesus tells this parable. It starts in verse 14. It's called the parable of the talents. Now, let me give you a little bit of a hint. For those of you that have not had your coffee yet this morning, God forbid, in the parable, Jesus is the master and you and I are his servants. So here's the parable starting in verse 14. For it, which is the moment when Jesus returns, it's the context of what he's talking about, the end times, the return of Jesus, is a little like this is what he's going to say. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went away. 
So the parable begins. You know what a parable is? I, I talked about this a little bit last week. A parable is a made-up story to, cast, uh, to be cast alongside something that's true. So Jesus is telling a made-up story, and it's to illustrate a truth that he wants them to understand. So here's this master. He has these three servants, and uh, he's going to give them talents. Now, what is the word talent? Well, it, it does mean uh, something that represents money. And so uh, most scholars believe that one talent is the equivalent of 600 denarii. And for the average common day laborer, they would make in one day's work one denarii. So one talent equals 6,000 days of work. That's a lot of money. So one of his servants gets five talents, the other one gets two talents, and the other one gets one talent. Well, we also believe that the word talent is meant to represent not just money, but resource. The master gives to the servants in the parable what we're to understand, a resource, something special. It could be their gift and ability. So anything that is a resource given by God to you is what Jesus has in mind here in the parable. So this isn't just about money, but it could be about money. It could be about your natural talents, maybe a spiritual gift. We are working with our loop groups, if you're in one, and you don't have to be in a loop group to take advantage of this, to help people identify their spiritual gifts. The Bible says that whenever you are in Christ, you're given the Holy Spirit, and what's released in you are spiritual gifts. They're unique abilities to help build the church, serve God. So every one of you have talents. It's interesting that the word, the root of the word translated into English sounds like talents, which you and I would think are like gifts, natural gifts. It also could mean money. What's the resource that you have more than most other people? What do you do better than most people you know? What do you enjoy doing most? Maybe that's the better question. What's the thing that makes you most feel alive? I mean, you can do a lot of things. This is a very capable, experienced, educated group of people. You can do a lot of things with your time. And most of it you can probably enjoy. But what is the thing that makes you feel alive? Howard Thurman, who is a uh, 20th century theologian and reportedly mentored MLK, said these words. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who come alive. What is the thing that could wake you up, could move you forward? What is the thing that you would sacrifice for because you believe that you have a special love for it? What is a resource that you have that's more than what most people have? And so the issue in the story for the master is how will the servants handle the resource given to them while the master is away? What will they do with this unique talent that they've been given? Well, verse 16 tells us. He who had received the five talents went at once. Now, the word at once is very important here because it, it uh, communicates an urgency. And what we begin to see in this passage is that when the master gives to his servants a talent and the master goes away, that the servants are to respond using that resource with a sense of urgency. I don't know about you, but most people I know are walking around asleep. Most people I know are walking around, not with a sense of urgency, but they've been lulled to sleep by the monotony of life. 
by just trying to get by, by the incredible pace of our lives spent on things, most of which does not really matter for eternity. And I'm not trying to be mean to you or not trying to get on to you, but what I'm saying is very few people that I know live with a sense of urgency for the things that the master cares about. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. He's investing, and he's got a 100% return. Verse 17, so also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, we read this phrase after a long time, and what we begin to understand is that it, 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 it gives us the sense in the parables, we try to think about what it means today, is that there is what we would consider to be a long period of time between the time that Jesus ascended into heaven after his crucifixion and resurrection and the time that he will return. You know, when we take the Lord's Supper, that's essentially what we're acknowledging. In just a few moments, we'll take the Lord's Supper, and we're, what we're doing in taking the bread and, the, and dipping it into the wine and consuming it is we're looking back to the time of the cross. But what I always say every week is that it also reminds us that there will be a time when Jesus returns. So we're living in this period of time when the master is away. Resources have been given. We as his servants are to use them. So the master goes away. He comes back after a long time, and he's going to settle accounts with them. He's going to figure out what they've done with the resources he's left them. Verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. He gave it all to him. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had the two talents come forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I am. I made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So word for word, the first two say the same thing and hear the same thing. The emphasis is not actually in the amount. This is one thing that trips us up sometimes when we think about using the resources that God has given us for his glory. We think, well, I don't have very much. The emphasis in the passage is not the amount. The emphasis in the passage is their faithfulness to urgently use the resources that they've been given in a way that would honor the master. Is anybody with me? I'm about to preach. I just want everybody to know that. You say, I don't have much passion or much talent or much money. That excuse doesn't work anymore. It's not the amount that matters. It's about being faithful. Because there's the truth. The master can turn little into a much. You know that to be true about God? The master, master can take a little passion and a little talent and a little money. If you want to use it for his glory, he can turn it into a lot. Jeremiah chapter 17 says, nothing is impossible for God. Mark chapter 9 says, all things are possible for him who believes. 
What the master can do is take a little, or what we think is a little, and turn it into a lot. It's interesting in the passage because when we first read it, and we realized that five talents represents 30,000 denarii, which is 30,000 days of work. That's a lot of money. But when the master comes, he says, that was a little because I have so much more. That's nothing. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because you were faithful with the little thing that you were given, I'm about to entrust you something greater. God can take little and make much out of it. You know the story where Jesus is with his disciples and he's been teaching all day and thousands of people have gathered on the hillside and there's a problem. The problem is what? The people are hungry. There's another problem. There's not enough food. So what does Jesus do? He takes a little offering from a boy of just a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread and he turns it into much and feeds all the people, so much so that there's some left over. This is how God works. We live with a sense of urgency because we believe that when we take our little and we want to honor the Lord with it, he will turn it into much. He will turn it into something that's great and significant, and there will be more and more and more. But there's a third servant. Verse 24 talks about him. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here. I didn't do anything with what you've left me. Well, the master cares about this. His master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming have, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents, for to everyone who has been given more, uh, for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even that will be taken from him. And cast the worthless servant into the darkness In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's this third servant. Man. The story was so good before this one. It made me feel so good about these first two servants. And then we get to this third one. And this third one has something that all of us have from time to time. And that's an excuse. We all have it. His excuse here was I'm afraid. Now, you're going to think Chris and I talked before the service about making this point, but we didn't. But we talked to the same boss, and the Lord put this on our hearts this morning to talk about the excuse of being afraid. His fear was he didn't want to fail. So what did he do? He did nothing. He took all that God had given him, the master had given him, he put it in the ground because he was afraid. You see, what he didn't know about the master was that the master wasn't concerned about whether or not his money actually produced more money. The master was concerned about whether or not the servant was going to be about the master's business. Mother Teresa says these words, God doesn't require us to succeed. He only requires that you try. 
He's been given this resource by the master. And the master gave him time to do something with it. But he feared failing, so he did nothing. At least, the master says, you could have put it in the bank and I could have got a little interest. I'm not asking for you to double it. Just do something with it. See, some of you have a resource, but you've got a little bit of faith. And what I would say to you is you may not be able to go crazy with that resource, but you can take a little step. You can do a little something and watch God bless it. This third servant is called wicked and lazy and useless because he did not further the interests of the master. He chose safety instead of service. Isn't this an idol in all of our lives? Security safety, predictability. So he cast the servant into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And these are phrases that Matthew has used a number of times to describe the result in judgment for the wicked. What is your resource? What is the thing that you have a little more of than anybody else does? Is it the gift of hospitality? Is it a passion for the marginalized, for the homeless, for the sick, for the orphan? Are you a little better in business than other people? Do you have more money than most? What is the resource that you have that the master has entrusted you with and what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? You see, I think the problem with the world we live in is that we think in terms of um, we have forever. But apparently, Jesus is going to return soon. And we're to live with that sense of urgency. And Jesus tells us right here how we're to live out our days. Now, mind you, Jesus knows he's just a couple of days away from being crucified. And at his crucifixion, there's a mysterious exchange where our sin through faith goes to him and his righteousness that he's earned because he's never sinned and doesn't deserve to die comes to us. There's a mysterious exchange right there of salvation. And just before this incredible event, this apex event in the New Testament that includes the resurrection, Jesus is talking about this master and this servant and this urgency that the servants are to go about the master's business. And here's why. Because we are to make the most of the resources we've been entrusted with. And we must not wait. We cannot be afraid. And we should not delay. We must make the most of the resources God has given us. What is your passion? What is your gift? What is the thing that you can do better than most people? What is the thing that awakens you? You know, at every major turn of my life, I've been faced with a couple of options. 
One is the one that's safe and predictable. And the other one is the one that will require the greatest amount of faith and the biggest step. And in every one of them, for whatever reason, by God's grace, I've taken that step and never have I been disappointed. Has it been hard? Yes, always. Have I been discouraged along the way? Yes. But I will be able to, when I'm old and I'm laying my big head and all its gray hair on the pillow for the last time, I will be able to look back and say, I tried to use the resource that you've given me, which is a passion to see people who don't know God meet Jesus in a clear and compelling way. That's my passion. That's what wakes me up. That's what makes me feel alive. Use that for God's glory. What is it for you? Maybe you care about children. You care about the fact that in the city of Houston, the average age of homelessness is 13. In this school of 750 kids, 20% of them are counted as homeless. And does that bother you? It bothers me. What will you do about it? Maybe you have a passion to see your neighbors meet Jesus. What will you do about it? And you say, well, I'm busy. Or what if they don't like me? Or I'm afraid to fail. Stop with the excuses. You say, well, I've got so much going on with my kids. Let me tell you something. You know what your kids need? Your kids need a mom and a dad who is about something that makes them feel alive. They need something more than just food on the, in their bellies and clothes on their back. They need, they need a mom and a dad who whose eyes are filled with tears when they talk about others meeting Jesus and the way in which you're going to go about doing that. What is the resource you have? And the good news is that there's a reward for those who take that little bit of faith and invest it in the kingdom, what the master is about. So that's the thing is we don't just use the resources to further our own interests. We use the resources to further the master's interests. So the idea is if you have the particular passion for, you say, I love to travel. I'm passionate about traveling. And all of a sudden you just start traveling all the world for no good reason. That wouldn't be necessarily what the master is talking about here. Or I'm passionate about food, so you just go eat a lot of food. I mean, I'm with you there, you know. But the thing that we're to do with the resource God has given us is to invest it in the things that the master cares about. And there's a reward. There's a reward when the master comes back, and he will, and he'll say these words, well done, good and faithful servant. I can't wait to hear those words. I hope I hear them. There's a reward, and the reward is more opportunity, expanding territory, more influence. There is a reward, and that is the hope of an eternal reward. And that is that someday you will receive the full inheritance that you've been guaranteed in Christ, and you'll spend eternity with God in heaven. And there is a reward right now, and that is the reward of joy. Joy, knowing that you are about the master 
You care about what the master cares about. Some of you are here and you have everything in the world, but you just lack joy. And the reason is, is because you're, you're using the resources God has given you for your own interest. But God is saying, hey, use them for mine. And the result is joy. What is your resource? And how will you invest it? So that when the master comes back, he can look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And here's what I believe to be true. There are some of you in here right now that God is speaking to your heart and he's saying this passage is for you. And it's going to require some sacrifice. It's going to require some change. It's going to require a step of faith. And what I would say to you is do it. What do you have to lose? Others of you are here and you are using that resource that God has given you. And I want you to hear the words of the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Press on, keep it up. What is that thing for you? Let's think on and pray about these things together. Just with your head bowed, I want to ask you what is it? What will you say to the Lord? What's the resource you have? Maybe you have an incredible ability to build relationships with people. Are you using that for the master's interests? Maybe you're passionate about mentoring younger women or younger men. But you've gotten so busy doing so many other things that you've um, not made time for it. You're making excuses. What will you do? Decide today. And maybe you're here and you've never crossed over the line of faith. And you're wondering whether or not the master is even willing to use you. And what I would say to you is repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And this new life brings with it an incredible journey of receiving gifts from the master and using those resources for his glory. What will your response be today? So what we're going to do in response here is just really say to the Lord, you can have it all. You have all the resources that we have for your glory. So if that's your prayer and your commitment, then you just join us in singing this morning before we take the Lord's Supper.